Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West, Salt Lake City, joined by the big fella, the chairman, Brian Hunsaker. Brett, what you doing? <laughs> I'm doing a podcast with you, my friend. Oh, is that it? Okay. And I'm very excited to be doing so. In fact, we've got a number of topics today. Brian and I, as we always do, we were talking about our conversations that we have with clients, and there were three main things that seem to come up almost every conversation. Not every conversation. Two of the three come up every conversation. The third one has been a conversation in and of itself. So we couldn't decide which one to specifically talk about in today's podcast, so we're going to talk about all three. Sounds good. Let's do it. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and Dogecoin. Dogecoin? Dogcoin. I'm going to call it Dogcoin for simplicity. Okay. Even though the Dodgers are going to get mad at me for doing so. And we're going to talk about the market is up, gosh, 87% from its March low, the S&P 500. Is it time to take risk off the table I had that and qu- become more conservative? Yeah, I had that question yesterday with a client, so we'll talk about so that. So did I, yeah. yesterday as well. Mm-hmm. Which is why we're addressing it today. The third thing, the final topic of the day is going to be inflation. And will it cause a bear market? And what impact is it going to have on on investments? And so we're going to cover those three things, starting with Bitcoin. And I'm going to give you some numbers here, Brian, as to why Bitcoin is so uh, attractive and why there's such a FOMO mentality around it. The fear of missing out mentality. In the last 12 months, Bitcoin itself is up 320% versus the S&P, which is up 41%. That's trailing 12 months. Since May 8th, and this is why Bitcoin is so in the news, other than those really nice returns. Uh, since May 8th, Bitcoin is down 30, almost 32%, and the S&P 500 is flat. Okay, so that's Bitcoin. What about Dogcoin? Doge. Dogcoin is up 6,270% year to date, which is insane. It's a picture of a dog on the coin. I don't even know if they make coins, but I see a picture of a dog. I've, I've That's read, why I call it a dog coin. Yeah, and I've read uh, headlines that it was started kind of as a joke. Yeah. Dogecoin or Dogecoin. And uh, and now look at it. <laughs> so what's the dog done since May 8th? Well, it's been a dog. It's down 38% since May 8th. But those returns of 320% on Bitcoin and 6,270% on the dog coin. That's insane. So if I'm sitting there and my friend's saying, I bought the dog or Bitcoin... And these are my returns. I pick up the phone and I call Brian Hunsaker. And I'm saying, my friend's getting rich. Brian, I got to get into Bitcoin or Dogcoin or Dogecoin. What's your reply to those people as they ask that question? I tell them, um, okay. <laughs> I really do. I really do. I said, that's, that's fine. Um, if you're asking my opinion if you should do it, um, I'm probably going to give you a little different answer. Okay, so there's two questions there. Mm-hmm. Should I invest or I'm going to do it? 
right? I'm going to invest in dog coin or Bitcoin. Okay. That's to me. That's right. like asking me, Brian. I'm going to go to Vegas this week. Is that okay? Oh, sure. It's your <laughs> <I don't> money. <laughs> it's your okay. Money. So let's rephrase the question because I don't think most people ask it that way. I think most people say, Brian, what's your opinion on investing in Bitcoin? Yeah. What would your reply then be? In fact, I had this conversation yesterday. I've had the, I had a meeting, lunch meeting today with a client. A exact same conversation. Client asked me. What I, what I thought of Bitcoin, and uh, I I think uh, Bitcoin is probably not going away. Um, it's probably here to stay. I think there's uh, enough people that know the name. I guess you could say it has brand recognition, and uh, but does it for, as an investment? Does it look interesting to us or? Are we thinking or considering about putting money into Bitcoin? And and uh, it, the problem I have as far as analyzing Bitcoin, or I really can analyze it, and that's the problem. You know, we we have a process that that all of you know about. We at first number one on that process is: do we understand the investment or the business? And uh, I can't check the box there with the, with crypto or with Bitcoin, really. I mean, I think I understand it, but I don't understand um, in the sense that uh, where it gets its value. It's you know, it's a, um, something that was just created out of really out of thin air. And uh, I understand the appeal. I think to some people, there's limited uh, supply on Bitcoin. We know we know that there's only going to be so many Bitcoin. I think that's appealing to people, yep. especially in today's environment where we had the Federal Reserve or the Fed that is just printing money, and there's we have inflationary pressures, and so I I, I can understand that. But I think Bitcoin is uh, uh, could be looked at as gold 2.0. It's re- it doesn't have doesn't generate revenue. It doesn't have any sort of operating income or profits or anything like that. Um, it could represent a store of value. It's not a payment system. It's not PayPal or Venmo or anything like that. I th- originally, I think that was the thought or kind of people thought that, that would, that's what Bitcoin might be. But it's, it's re- as, as time has gone on, we realize that that's not what Bitcoin is. So it could be a store of value. But the question is, what that what is the value of Bitcoin or who could and the only way there's no way to value it and so to me the value of bitcoin is what um somebody's willing to pay for pay you for bitcoin and uh, or or buy bitcoin from you it's that is the value and uh, it's just like gold in that way right it it's it's hard to it's supply and demand right is it on sell who knows right. it's certainly cheaper since May eighth than it was before, from sixty thousand down to to fifty thousand, forty five thousand ish, somewhere I, in there. Yeah, I listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was this so called you know expert on Bitcoin, and and uh, he's predicting that Bitcoin could be over a million dollars, you know, per Bitcoin sometime in the future. Could be. Could be. I, I have no idea, and I don't know how any how anybody would know. It could be so, 5000 it could be 500 it could be 5 it could be a million. So you're saying that it's hard to invest in because it doesn't meet our four criteria, which are we have to understand it, which I think we understand Bitcoin. It's the Dogecoins, the Moonshine Coins, the the 
Batmobile coins, whatever they are, that I don't understand. Bitcoin, I kind of do. Does it have a good management team? Well, there's no management team. Is it have a competitive advantage. Eh, you could say it does over other coins. Over other coins. It's, it's, it's the reputation or yeah. the brand brand recognition. Um, can you buy it at a good price? Who knows? Right. And so as we look at risk, and we're going to talk a lot about risk today, risk is the permanent loss of capital. And we feel like understanding the companies that we buy as we do we feel like we understand the risk in buying those companies. Apple, I'm not saying go buy Apple. That's just an example. Bank of America. You know, we understand those companies and the risks of buying them. Who knows what the risk is with buying Bitcoin? Right. Because you can't value it. Right. So that's where it becomes really, really hard for us to say buy Bitcoin, buy Dogecoin, Buy the moonshine coin. I've been I've been telling every pretty much everybody I talk to if you want to speculate and and take a little bit of your investable assets and buy Bitcoin, that's fine. <laughs> it's perfectly fine, um, and I don't have a problem with that. But that's what it is. It's you're speculating. It's like buying gold. Nobody really knows the value of gold. Let's just let's just face it. Gold doesn't generate revenue or doesn't generate re- income or operating profits. It's a but it has represented a store of value for thousands of years. Now, whether Bitcoin really deserves to be put in that same category, maybe. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but uh, I'm fine with people putting a little bit of money into Bitcoin if, if they really want to. Um, I would rather own a business <laughs> 100%. that I can value, that yep. I can analyze, yep. I can evaluate. I can't, I can't evaluate Bitcoin and what it's worth. So here would then be the key, right? Because we talk about what's going to help our clients accomplish their financial goals. If speculating on a coin uh, does not negatively impact your financial plan, because essentially when you invest in Bitcoin or Dogecoin or anything, we're writing that money off as though you're going to lose it. Because the risk is so high when you buy those. So as long as your financial plan isn't negatively impacted by speculating on one of those coins, go for it. Sure. It's the younger generation that has 100,000 investable assets and they're throwing 60,000 to buy one coin. I don't know if that's a wise idea. I guess... They are, you know, you mentioned that it's the younger crowd, and I, hopefully they have enough time to make up for uh, for know, the loss for, for potential <laughs> losses. I, I mean, who knows, you know? Yeah, who knows? But um, but yeah, potentially they could they could lose a lot of money. It does remind me a little bit. There's a lot of speculation going on in the industry in in the in financial markets, and it reminds me a little bit of the late two thousand late nineties and early two thousands, the speculation going on with dot com stocks and we're seeing that with Dogecoin and cryptocurrencies and SPACs and we've talked about this before. Yeah. There's there is some similarities to that and that worries me. Um I remember a client calling me up in the late nineties and saying, just you know, buy 
buy a bunch of dot com stocks because you they can't you can't miss you can't lose on them. Yep. <laughs> and we found yep. out over the next really over the next couple of years that you could miss you could lose, and in fact, uh, people who did that in the late nineties got sucked into it. Uh, we talk about risk, and the definition of risk is permanent loss of capital. I mean, this was permanent loss of capital money. People who put money and speculated in in the late '90s in dot com stocks, they lost permanent capital. It never came back. And uh, is this Bitcoin? Is this crypto? I think a lot of the cryptocurrencies and a lot of SPACs and some of the I think there will be a lot of permanent loss of capital. Yep. In those in, in those sectors for sure. Which is risk. Very big risk. Yep. Yeah. So be careful out there. If Bitcoin if you don't need Bitcoin to accomplish your financial goals, remember slow and steady wins the race. And you don't have to get rich overnight. Because most people that try to get rich overnight end up losing the money. Yeah. Right? That's why Vegas exists. All right. So that's Bitcoin. Any 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 final thoughts on Bitcoin? No, I think that... Sell off under the sunset. Yeah. Uh, markets. All right, let's talk about the markets for a second. Because a question... The next question we're getting often is the market, the S&P 500, is up 87.63% since March 23rd of 2020. That's just price return. That's not total return. That's just price. So, with the market up that high, Brian, and I'm pretending to be a client right now, I think it's time I take risk off the table and be a little bit more conservative because I've made a good amount of money. Is that the right thing to do? <laughs> and my follow-up to that, a follow-up question would be, then what? <laughs> then what do you do with your money, Brett, after you take your money off the table? Well, I just wait to get back in later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say... So why is that a bad idea, let, though? Well, let's, let's say that's a taxable account. Okay. okay, if it's taxable account. And the market's been really good, and you've got some long-term gains. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had $100,000 in gains in your portfolio. Okay. okay. So you sell that. You're going to pay taxes on that money. It could be as high as, you know, including state, federal taxes. It could be as high as 30%. And so I'm taking a 30% hit which is by selling in a taxable <laughs> account, which is... Likely where people want to sell the most because they don't really think about the retirement accounts. Those are longer term. Right. And then you think about what a market correction, you know, most market corrections are 10, 12. In an 14. average year, we have a 14% correction. We had we had a big one last year, 37%. That's, that's one of the extreme. That's like one every 10 years. Right. That's an extreme. Yep. And so we're, we're kind of in that neighborhood now where you're going to take a 30% haircut on paying taxes. So what you're saying is if I take a 30% haircut by selling in taxes, I need a 30% market drawdown just to be just to just break to break even on buying back. Right. Right? Getting mm-hmm. back into the market. Mhm. So, and I who knows, that could happen. Okay. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but um it could, but like I said, like you said, it happens, you know, 30% plus drawdowns happen maybe every decade or so. I mean, we had one last year. The last previous one was 2009. Mm-hmm. That was over a decade ago. Yep. It was 11. We have 20% corrections, but 30%, those, are, those are, aren't as common. Those so, okay, so I get it. All right, taxable account, I'm not going to sell. But what if I want to be more conservative in my investments? So say a client wants to take 
they're 95% in stocks, in equities. They own great businesses. Now they want to become more conservative, so they say, hey, I want less volatility in my portfolio. They believe is less risk. I want to be 30% in bonds, 70% in the market, which will give me less volatility in my portfolio. Good idea or bad idea? Less risk or more risk? This is a trick question. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think it's a bad idea, to, to just to say it straight out, straight out, but straight up. Um, and the reason why is uh, you might see less volatility in your portfolio by doing something like that. You might have lower, you know, reduced upside and also reduced downside potential. Um, but uh, the likelihood that uh, You'll you'll actually lose money almost. I can't. We can't guarantee anything, but we, it's very likely you'll lose money owning bonds over the next ten years, um, especially in the environment we're in today. We have inflation. You got you pay taxes on that income, which me, with the meager income that you get right now, we have a ten-year treasury paying one point six percent. One point six. Very meager. You're going to pay taxes on that, and then we have inflation that's right now running point one six running a little bit hot right now and uh so just right there you're two over two percent behind the game just on inflation and then you got taxes on top of that so 30 percent of your portfolio which you believe is more conservative is actually more risky in the sense that it uh the permanent loss of capital you, you just won't make money i mean yeah. it'll, there's a, some real strong headwinds right now in fixed income the worst thing you can do the worst investments um, in an inflationary environment are fixed assets, fixed return assets or fixed income that's going to pay you a fixed rate of return. And then you have inflation that picks up and you have inflation running at 3 4 5% and you're getting 1% or 2% on your fixed return assets. That's a loser's game right there. So I'm going to summarize this then. The less volatility, the ups and downs, uh, in a portfolio does not mean in any way that it's less risky. We we talk about this all the time, bro. Oh, brother. We talk about it all the time. Um, and we talk about and we, we will continue to talk about it all the time. Well it's we 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 <laughs> try to tell we try to tell people that volatility is not risk. Risk is the permanent loss of capital or the probability of permanent loss of capital. And, and so the, the probability of permanent loss of capital owning supposedly risk-free U.S. Treasury bond over the next 10 years is pretty high. Yep. You probably will lose <laughs> permanent loss of capital. We're owning stocks over the next decade. You think about this. Right now, the, S, the S&P 500 is uh, people keep saying it's really expensive, it's super expensive. Well, this year, the S&P will probably earn close to $180, $190 per share of S&P 500 earnings. And, or, and next year for 2022, we're looking at over 200 Some of the estimates are over $200 a share. Mm-hmm. That would put the S&P anywhere between 21 and 20, 20 and 21 times forward earnings. And if you look at that on an earnings yield basis, that's a, around a 5% earnings yield. 
So you're getting 5% in earnings, growing at uh, historically for the last 50 years, growing at 6%, 6 to 8% a year historically. And you got you compare that to a, a 10-year risk-free, you know, 1.6%. 1. 1. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Which one of these do you want? Yep. Right. So, well, let me just fi finish yeah, one ahead. thing. Ten years from now, those S and P five hundred earnings at say, if they were to grow between six and eight percent, let's just say seven percent, will double. So the S and P will have will then approximately between three hundred fifty to four hundred dollars a share in S and P five hundred earnings. And now, and, and today, and today's dollars, the S and P at four four thousand or forty one hundred, we're talking the S and P is trading around 10 times, you know, 10-year forward earnings. <laughs> That's a 10% earnings yield. That's fairly compelling. Yeah, it is. Relative to a 1.6% U.S. Treasury that will not will not pay you any more income than that 1.6% over the next decade. Which will lose you money if you factor in inflation. Taxes and inflation. You'll get less volatility, but higher risk. Higher, higher, higher risk. Potential for permanent loss of capital. Yes. yes. Volatility what? is not risk. Long term. <laughs> and I think it's important to say over the next three to five years, ten years, without a doubt, I believe that. You're going to have – volatility can be risk if you're a short-term investor. If you need your money – If you're trying to time the market. Yeah, if, you're yep. in the, if yep. you need your money in three months or tomorrow and the market goes down, that's real risk. Yep. But if you don't need the money for three and five and ten years – then volatility is not risk. So here's why we keep harping on this. And it's going to go all the way back to a high school class. My son is taking a personal finance class at his high school. And he, he I may or may not have helped him with a few things <laughs> in this class. But it's brought up some great discussions. So we were doing a quiz. He was doing a quiz. I was kind of helping him. And the, the, the questions on the quiz were, you know, what's a safer investment, you know, bonds or stocks? And I'm like, well, do you want the right answer or do you want to get the answer right? You know what I mean? Answer bonds because that's what they think is the right answer, although it's stocks right now. So as we got into this conversation, we talked about inflation and, and tenure and, and bonds losing money over time. We had that. One night, that conversation one night. The next morning, he goes into that class, and he raises his hand, and he asks the, uh, the not the professor, but the teacher. And he said, hey, if, I, if inflation's at 4%, which it is right now, and I'm getting 1.6% from a bond, or even 2% from a bond, how's that bond making me money? And he looked at my son and his buddy, he said, that's a great question. And I, I don't know how he answered the rest of it, but here's the interesting thing, Brian. And this is what ticks me off. The, the teacher, not it doesn't make me mad at the teacher, makes me mad at a whole lot more than the teacher. But the teacher grabbed him and his buddy after class and said, hey, by the way, I agree with you 100%. I would never buy a bond right now. But I have to teach this curriculum because it's being forced you have to teach what they want taught. That's why we hate academics. Right. This teacher wasn't an academic, but he was forced to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I better settle down right now. Somebody <laughs> put a quarter in me. 
That's why the whole investment world doesn't understand risk is because it's being forced down people's mouths as volatility's risk. Well, you and I were talking earlier. You were telling me the story, and we said, well, it's not just in the academic circles. It's also in, in uh, Wall Street and, and pensions and uh, endowment funds. They are forced by their investment policy statements to have a certain percentage of their portfolio in supposedly lower-risk investments, bonds. A lot of times it's uh, 30 40% of the portfolio has to be in in uh, high-grade bonds. And oh, high-grade bonds today, are, they're the most overvalued asset out there right now, high, especially treasuries are the most overvalued. <laughs> That's the bubble if, in my mind is, is U.S. treasuries. Give me a covered call approach. <laughs> ten times out of ten before bonds. <laughs> And it's yeah. less risky. But that's what the textbook says. I mean, the textbook says, you know, bonds are less risky in general. And, and so that's what they teach. And, you know, they're not really thinking about it. They're not using their own brain or noggin to really think it through. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the third thing, which we kind of already have. It's inflation. Because a lot of our clients and a lot of people out there, everyone out there, if you're paying attention, you're paying a lot more for everything. And inflation really surprised uh, at a 4.16% report the last, last month. So the question that we're getting is inflation causing a bear market, inflation causing a disruption in so many areas of the globe. Like, What's going to happen with, as inflation ticks higher or stays where it is? Mm-hmm. Right? What's going to happen to your assets? <laughs> That's the question. So in, inflation will have, uh, if we have long-term inflation, or we'll, we'll drive interest rates higher. And if we have higher interest rates, that will, be a, that will be competition for other asset classes like real estate, stocks, and that will drive valuations lower. There's no question. But so then, then what? Then what do you do? So if that's the case, then do, do you sell your stocks? Do you sell your real estate? You, and you can put it in the and put it in the bank. Well, actually, no, because that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse. because what what we're saying is the higher inflation, it's almost forcing the Fed's hand to raise rates, and the rates chase the inflation and hopefully match it and overcome them, right? But that means high in- interest rate environment, which means potential lower returns on stocks and other asset classes. Right. But I, I, I do feel like uh, the best way to fight inflation is owning a great business that has pricing power and uh, will be able to increase prices and uh, still grow in, a, in an inflationary environment. If you have a fixed rate asset, meaning a bond, um, and you've locked that in at 1% or 2% or 1.5%, and we have high inflation. Um, that's 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 not a good formula. You'll you'll lose money in that owning those investments, those supposedly safe investments. So that's that's the effects of of inflation. Is it'll it's it's the discount rate, and and uh, not to get too technical, but that's the rate that everybody. It's kind of the benchmark. And if if rates go higher, that's competition for other asset for other asset classes. If we had a ten-year treasury at five percent today, I, I'm pretty confident that stocks would have a lower valuation today. That doesn't mean that they're a bad investment. They're just 
there's going to be an adjustment. And I still think over the next three, five, and ten years, stocks is the way to go. But uh, but bonds um, will suffer as rates do go up. I mean, bonds will suffer dramatically. The price of the bonds go get get hammered. Well, you look at the thirty-year Treasury this year. I haven't looked at it recently, but I know that just a few weeks ago, the thirty-year Treasury was down over twenty percent year to date. I mean, it, and that's the effect of higher rates and higher inflation that we're seeing right now. So there's two times in history, I think, when when inflation kind of kicked in, which caused the Fed to raise ten year the ten year rate, and and one of those time frames was 1971 to 1981, where the ten year, and we've mentioned this before, went from six to fourteen percent, but the S and P 500 averaged seven point one percent annually, and was up 113 percent. Yeah. Buy great businesses, and they still do relatively well. Uh, probably a better time frame that makes that, that's more comparable to where we are today was right after World War II. 1954 to 1960, 10-year doubled, 2.3 to 4.7. Stocks, because we were coming out of a crisis, were up 207% over that six-year time frame. Buy great businesses... That's the best way to fight inflation. That's the best way to fight high interest rates. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's smooth sailing all the time. It doesn't mean we won't have market corrections. We will. We'll have market corrections. You're talking about the volatility. Yeah, the volatility. We're gonna that will continue. We'll have adjustments, but over a long period of time, absolutely, owning a good business is the way to to still build wealth and preserve purchasing power. So wrapping up. Volatility is not risk. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Bitcoin. We talked about Bitcoin. We talked about, hey, is, is now the time with the market doing so well, time to take risk supposedly off the table? The answer to that is probably no. I will say it could be if your financial plan is better off in the long term by you removing uh, an allocation, a certain allocation to stocks, and that—that's rare. And that's be, that's based on your income needs or your your yep. short-term needs, and we account for that with our cash management strategies, where we we're always going to have uh, at least a year or two of cash on the sidelines to account for those those, those short needs. those short-term yeah. needs. Yeah, the volatility, short-term volatility. And the third thing was inflation slash interest rates, the impact it could have on the market. Uh, which, again, we're saying the best way to overcome that is own great businesses. So all that said, our philosophy, Brian, is a lot different than most firms in what we're talking about. We want to be different. But it's different for a reason, because it's the real world, Yeah. not some academic model. What's... What's the sharp ratio on that, Brian? <laughs> this is real world. Anyway, with that, my friends, I hope that answered some questions. Brian, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been nice, Brett. Until next time. Bye-bye. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice.
Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.